Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience, a podcast confronting current events, politics, comedy, and calamity, all from the perspective of a trans titaness. She's a verbal black belt, skilled in the art of roasting, the hellmouth, doomsayer, CEO of the Amazon position. Here's your host, Cameron M. Terrell. Welcome to Train Us in the Lived Experience. I'm your host, Cameron Ayina Lean Mahadaret Terrell, aka Trenos. Say it with your whole chest, or I'll dive off the top rope and double stomp your auntie. This is Trenos in the Lived Experience, the show that wanted to take some time out and recognize a little bit of nostalgia this week. This episode is called Sunday Morning. Um, I'm getting used to a new schedule. I have a day job because I don't make any money doing this. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I have, it's not a day job. Technically I work night shifts. So I'm working from 10 to eight in the morning currently, and it is whooping my ass. Thus the reason for us taking a small hiatus last week, but I wanted to come back and take it a little bit easier than I've been taking it lately. I know a couple months back we talked about like changing the tone of our show because it is at, at, at times very intense, but so is the world. But before we get into that, I want to remind everybody that Tranos and the Lived Experience is brought to you by the meeting of music and marijuana. Today's song is brought to you by the Commodores circa 1977, and it is called Easy Like Sunday Morning. Um, this often played in my household on Sundays. Uh, that was a day that my mother liked to cook and sing. And we spent the most time together before she forced me, to, or tried to at least, attempted to force me to go to church. Um, the episode strain is Sunday Driver. See what I'm doing here? Also known as Sunday Driver, S-U-N-D-A-E. Um, it's a hybrid marijuana strain made by crossing FPOG and Great Pie. Great, I've tried both of those. They're both on my strain list if you want to look them up. The effects of this strain will make you feel balanced, calm, and happy. Sunday Driver has a sweet, mellow, creamy flavor. Growers say this strain comes in a light green and the purple buds that are drenched in trichomes. And I can attest to that because I got some in front of me right now. And I'm going to fuck this shit up at some point during the middle of this episode. Because uh, that's what I do. I want to take you back to 1986 and fledgling ra-cha-cha. It's Sunday morning. Uh, I am woken up by the smells of breakfast as I like to call it when I was young, um, which could have been anything from beef sausage and grits with cheese. We don't do that sugar shit over here. It's a large debate in the black community. I just want everybody to know where I stand. If you put sugar in grits, fight me. That's porridge. I don't eat porridge. Um, often I'd wake up and me and my twin brother would race to see who can get to the bathroom first because our mother was like, don't come downstairs without brushing your teeth. So we'd race to the bathroom to see who can get to brush our teeth first. Um, after regrouping, after the bathroom tirade, we'd walk down the stairs to be met by our mother who was singing at the top of our lungs. And she is most likely singing Easy Like Sunday Morning because she wanted us to ease into that day. And this is before the chaotic times of like my mother's drug use taking hold. This is like the last remnants 
of my childhood, like, um, fun time memories. Um, we rushed down the stairs. My mother would be singing. Uh, she sang a lot. She's a great singer. Shout out to Patricia. We miss you and love you. My little sister would often already be down there kind of helping my mom. She was young. She was like three. My little sister was always set up to be like this really strong-willed woman, which I always kind of admired. Um, she was already <laughs> helping cook and helping like situate us. And, and, and once my little sister was born, my, my, my youngest sister was born, um, my, sis, my sister Candace was like full on like the second mother in the house. We'd all gather around the table and have breakfast and laugh and joke. I would often say things that were inappropriate because that's my job here in this family. I'm the black sheep inappropriate doomsayer. Uh, I became the doomsayer in 1986 because I was always saying something to fuck up the mood. <laughs> um, like, uh, why am I a boy at breakfast? Uh, <laughs> uh, that normally started a lot of shit. But then we would go about our day like where we would like the chore list. My mother would often make like this and we are witches. I don't care what anyone says. My mother often make this potpourri concoction on the stove. And she would then make us carry to all the heat vents and put in pots and heat on the heat vents so that the house smelled like a constant raspberry chutney and like um and an allspice smell. Like the house always smelled like pies were being made. And then we would have to, like, move furniture and move things around because my mother constantly liked changing the flow and the energy in the room because as much as she fought it, she was a witch. Um, I remember us, like, moving furniture and wondering why we were doing these weird things. And it was just part of my mom's ritual to get us ready for the, the rest of the week. So we would move the furniture, sweep the floors, uh go get our laundry for her to uh, sort and clean for us. Then we would be tasked with mopping floors, wiping down walls, that kind of stuff. And this was all like early Sunday morning. It's not even like, it's not even eight 30 yet. Like my mom would wake us up at like seven o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. <laughs> and then like you had a long day ahead of you before, like hopefully you'd be down to sleep by like nine. Well, for us, it was like eight. Um, so we're doing all these chores and things. And I just remember it being like a buzzing time. Like as much as I was like, I'm a kid, I don't want to do all this cleaning. It was time that we all spent together. So it wasn't like for nothing. I think that was my mom's whole plan. It was like, she kept us busy. She kept us all in the same house. So she kept us all together that we would, we, she'd be able to keep us a, a better eye on us. Um, remember, this is the roaring 80s. The crack is, it's 86, so crack is killing people outside. There are really weird crimes going on over the city of Rochester. There are jump out squads snatching black men and women off the streets. And, and, and kids being harassed like they were adults by police at this period of time. So my mother was doing whatever she could to keep us off the streets. We thought Sunday was the day you get to run the streets. And my mom never allowed that. She never allowed that. We would, by this time... My mom's doing all of the, the laundry and stuff like that. And we're like, we got some free play time to ourselves or so we thought. So we're like fucking around in the house, knocking shit over, fucking up what we just did. And this is where the small chastising comes in, where she reminds us that we're not animals and that, that we shouldn't be breaking shit in her house. And we would oblige by like, yes, ma'am, sorry for doing what we're doing. And then she'd allow us to go outside for a small period of time to play. And that depends on 
what what season it is you ask like it's any season like there's that period of time in the age where your parents would just like go outside they didn't care what it was outside like i played in ice storm so <laughs> there's that <laughs> I, I was literally playing outside during the ice storm and i was having a ball um we get like a good two or three hours of that in she asked us to come in because now it's like lunchtime so we come in for lunchtime and my mom would cook up a plethora of things on Sunday. But generally, like, she would make us a snack and stuff like that. And she used to make this thing uh, that we used to call chickpea pop. So what it is, and uh, I'm not going to give you every ingredient. My mom used to, like, just concoct these wild things that tasted so good. Uh, we also called it manna or, like, um, wild lamas. So it's popcorn with a little bit of, like, avocado oil. She cooked it in avocado oil. That's how she popped it. She popped it in avocado oil, which is hard as fuck to come by in the 80s, might I add. A little bit of, of yeast flakes and chickpea seasoning. That's not all the ingredients. But she would give us a snack while she made us lunch. And it could be anything from, like, leftovers from the night before or what we liked. We liked sausage sandwiches. So she would make us, like, beef sausage sandwiches or um, she would make us a little bit of soup if it was cold outside. We'd all sit around the table and laugh and joke. And my mom would be in constant medley. Just my mother would sing at all hours of the night, all day. My mother, you can always find my mother singing. She, I said it in the beginning, she had the most beautiful voice I've ever heard. And strangely, I miss it so much. Like there's times where I just try to close my eyes and hear the last song I heard her sing. Uh, the last song I ever heard my mother sing was I Feel Like Going On. It was a song from um, the movie, The Five Heartbeats. And she used to sing it whenever she was really sad or when things were hard. But like the way she sang, it never made us feel. Never made us feel sad. It was, it was, it was reassuring to us that she was working through whatever was going on. Um, man, I almost like, I almost started crying. I think back on a lot of the things that my mom used to do, and I look on them fondly now, even though and at the time, most of the stuff that she did as a child, you think your mom's annoying. You think like she's, oh, she's, she's being too hard on us. She doesn't know what we're going through. Of, of course she did. Of course she did. Um, I used to hate Sunday mornings because I felt like we were trapped in the house and I would today give anything for another Sunday morning with my mother. Or for that matter, my brothers and sisters. Life has changed us all so much. And there's so much different about us now. Like we all had the, the chance to know who we are, but we still don't know each other. And I think that's, um, it's not a failing on my mother's end. I think that's a failure on us. There's so much uh, centering of self going on with each and every one of us. And we forget that the others were hurt as well, that the others are missing her as well, that the other ones had lives and dreams and things that went either great or horribly wrong. And we just don't focus on each other. We focus on how we feel. And that includes me. Like my transition has to be hard on my other brothers and sisters because it's, it's, it's not something that's easy to understand, but I'm, I'm still your sibling. So the attempt would be great. It's, um, 
it's another thing to like downplay the level of trauma one generation of us went through as compared to the other because there is a large age gap in between the trio which is myself my twin brother my sister candace and then my younger siblings who are at least 10 to 13 years younger than us my sister bianca is 10 years younger than me and my little brother jaman is 13 years younger than me and there's a huge gap in age. And I think there's a misunderstanding about like how the timeline worked. Because at one point, like I felt like my little brother and sister didn't understand that like when we were split from them, because I was split from them, I was split in foster care. When I was split from them, I was a child. So a lot of the time I get blamed for not being there. And that was beyond my power. I was a child. A child who was a ward of the state. I wasn't just allowed to walk around freely. And I think we had to have a discussion about that. Where I had to explain that to them. And I just thought that would be common knowledge. And I was upset at first. But then I had to like really break it down. Like we have to think about this from the perspective of the logic of a child. My little brother was like. I think he was three when I got put into foster care. He was three. Uh, so his understanding was that he was left by his siblings. That his older sibling, specifically me, just disappeared from his life. So I had to like, all right, I understand that feeling that you have. Now I need you to understand the perspective of the 13-year-old that had to leave you. I wanted more than anything to be around you. I wanted more than anything to be around my family. But like, that's not how it worked. And as a child... I cannot save another child. Not in those circumstances. There are plenty of times where I was there for you. But you're just too young to remember. And you can't keep punishing me for things that are out of my control. And I can't punish you for the feelings that you have because they're valid. But like the validity of your feelings hasn't ex experienced my experience. Same with my little sister. I think we get into our heads a lot. And we forget that time where we were all like together. And Sundays, Sundays are very significant to me. It always reminds me of my mom. It always harkens to her. And I wish in the future, because time's not promised us, I wish in the future that we can get back to something like that where we would share a meal together or share a Sunday together. But we are scattered to the four corners of the earth currently. Um... And we shouldn't do it for our mom's legacy. We should do it for ourselves. It's been so long since we've actually been in the same room. Like, there's not a chance. Like, the way it works now is we are so spread apart that there hasn't been a, a, a instance where we've all been in the same room at the same time in the last 15 years. And generally, it was because of pettiness and arguments and, and, and holding on to things that, like, were out of control of the other party. Like, I have to constantly correct my twin on his downplaying of the trauma that my, my youngest brothers and sisters endured. Because we don't know what they went through. We can't say that what we went through was worse because we were first or anything like that. We can't do that. We can't downplay what my sister Candace went through because we didn't see it. 
trauma affects people differently and and it doesn't take like physical violence to be traumatized. Abandonment works. Emotional disarray works. Those kind of things come into play. Religious harm is a thing where we weren't subjected so much to being at church. My little brother and sister were. And we all know what church does to kids. Um, the trauma of watching our mother's failed relationships, that's traumatizing. Of being abandoned, watching our mother be abandoned by men, harmed by men. That's traumatizing, specifically traumatizing for the younger, the younger of us, like because they had to live in that. Not not that we didn't have situations that we had to live through. We had to live through watching domestic violence with, with my father. My father was constantly putting his hands on my mom. That traumatized me and it hurt her. It affected the way I see relationships to this day. Have to be a little bit more considerate of each other and that's where i'm I've, I've taken a step back and i've decided that if any of my brothers and sisters want to sit want to reach out to me and have a conversation about things i'm willing to have a conversation and a discussion about what went on and how we can better ourselves but i am never i'm never in in that space to to disrespect you or to be disrespected I think I've gotten to the age now where I find discussions to be vital and healing, but disrespect is not part of that process. And I learned that from my mother. It took me years to absorb that lesson, but I've learned that from my mother. I'm willing to have the discussion, but I'm not here for disrespect. And I think if we all approach, if we all approached our discussions that way, then we could have more Sunday mornings more traditions we could build we could build a tradition that we could pass on to our next generation or your next generation because i'm unable to have children i think that's um i think it's just like a small love letter and remembrance to my mother i remember the good times and i hold on to those more than i do the bad times um we would get to the evening and my mom would know that we had to get ready because school was the next day. So we all had to take our baths and she would like got us pajamas and she was trying to teach us how to be air quotes men. So, so me and my brother had a regimen where we had like the brush. We had a special brush. We had do rags. We had like cologne uh, pajamas. She make us put a cologne to go to bed. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> My mother had like a, a madman sensibility about what a man should be. They should all be tall, dark, and handsome. They should all smell of, 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 of hickory wood and elderberry. Um, my mother was the kind of mother who would make me wear a suit to school. Shout out to you, mom, for my fashion sense. Cause I was with it. <laughs> um, I remember I told my mother, she asked me what I wanted for school for clothes. And I told her I wanted to look like Ferris Bueller. And she made it happen. She made it happen. <laughs> I was wearing penny loafers, white socks, and a houndstooth suit to my first day of first grade. <laughs> and I was carrying a mini briefcase. I was a target. But for fashion, I was for it. Like, how, how, Patricia, I'm speaking to you now from... The other side, 
how did you not know I was gay? How did you not know that I was of the trans persuasion? A houndstooth suit? How many six-year-olds six asked for a houndstooth suit? And I wore it with a turtleneck, nonetheless. It was houndstooth with patches on the elbows, and I wore white socks, like bedazzled socks, by the way, with penny loafers with a brand new penny in them that she put in herself. Shout out to Patricia. I was wearing cool water cologne. And then she had uh, straightened my hair with a hot comb and combed it into the weirdest black Aryan style. I, I wish there was a picture of me. I wish there was a picture of me. I remember it so vividly. I thought I was doing it. And we walked into first grade and all the kids were like, you're a weirdo. They were wearing Oshkosh Bagosh overalls, Thomas the Tank Engine sneakers. And I came in there like I was about to like, do a symposium like I was showing up to a museum job like I was a background like like a background maitre d at a restaurant my mother did <laughs> accommodate my weird sense of style and I like to think that at times specifically when we had those nighttime discussions about what was going to happen in the, the next day I think she understood like what she was dealing with I just don't think she knew how to handle it at the time. But she did her very best. Because I didn't hear a lot of homophobia from my mother. I didn't learn about homophobia from my mother or transphobia. Those things were done by, like, my my father, my uncles, uh, sometimes my brothers and sisters. Uh, in the 80s, the word faggot was thrown around just everywhere. Everyone was saying it. But I specifically remember, like, my mom used to come into our rooms and make sure that we were ready for bed. And she would talk to us for a minute. And there was this period of time when I don't know if any of my other brothers and sisters experienced this. But she used to say goodnight to us every night. She used to come into our rooms every night and say goodnight to us. And she would kiss us on the foreheads. And then she would turn off our light. And then she would leave the room. And then me and my brother would giggle and whisper and talk about what was going to happen the next day. And then we would fall into this deep sleep. Was, I, to this day, it was the best sleep I've ever had in my life. It was Sunday night to Monday morning. And I think it was because of the level my mom had set from that morning until the time my eyes had closed. She was trying to protect us from a world that wasn't ready for any of us, specifically not ready for me. The violence and the drugs with, within our home. Like, this, like, that was the only time my mom could protect us from it. Because, strangely, in 86, like, my father disappeared a lot. I think that's because he had already tested the original recipe, crack cocaine. And he knew that Sunday was church day. And he wasn't coming to church. My grandmother would sometimes watch us. Or my mom would, like, let my uncles come over. And we would play with my uncles. Because she knew I wasn't going to church. I would do it every once in a while, but, like, it would just be to appease her. I, at six years old, was like, not for me. Church, not for me. That was another thing that installed and instilled uh, homophobia and, and, and religious harm into me was the time I spent around charlatans in a church. I realized when I was very young that, like, there was a lot of fraudulent shit going on in the house of the Lord. 
And my mom has been to every place, the tabernacles, the synagogues, the seven-day Adventists. Uh, she's been a Jehovah's Witness. I've witnessed charlatans in every, one, every last one of those denominations. And I decided super young that I just wasn't with it. I just wasn't with it. I think I told a story of Elder Scott, who was the preacher at a church when I was young. And like everyone in our neighborhood would at some time frequent this church. They often had barbecues outside during the winter. I mean, during the summertime, they would have like back to school revivals and stuff like that, which is just indoctrination. And um, I got a glimpse of this man with his gold rings and his gold bound glasses, his red shoes, his, his, his super nice car. But his church was in shambles. It was in the middle of the hood. Like uh, like the doors had padlocks on them. There was often time the whole building would be being heated with place heaters, kerosene place heaters, might I add. Like the church was falling apart around us, but this man was driving like the latest truck. He had all this gold on. And then come to find out years later, like my feelings towards him were real. Like he was a charlatan. Like he died in a hotel room surrounded by prostitutes and high off drugs. Like, this is the person who was in charge of our spiritual wellness? No, thank you. Uh, me and my mom differed on that era, on that area, but we never differed on that feeling that we, I was, I got to, I, I missed, once I went into foster care, I missed Sunday mornings. I missed Sunday mornings so much that I tried to mimic them, but it, it was never the same. To this day. I can't cook like her. I don't sing like her. All I can do is remember. I think my mom was trying her best. She had five she had five kids that she raised on her own. She battled huh, addiction and won. She battled three different cancers and won. And finally got tired. And diabetes took her from us. Like Way too early. My mother died when she was 54 years old. That's not a long time. And I feel like in that moment, like when she did pass, the first thing that went through my mind was like my mother was chipped out of happiness. She had little glimpses of it here and there. But like the, the amount, people say that I endure a lot. My mother endured a lot. She beat domestic violence. She beat drug addiction. She beat, like, toxic religion, cancer, alcoholism, sexism. Uh, she's just a strong woman. And I wish I would trade anything to have another Sunday with my mom, just to have a long discussion with her. Just a long discussion about anything. She prepared me for what was to come when I came out as a trans person. And the way she did that, it started young. It started when I was six. Always telling me that I needed to be strong. Always telling me that I had to watch out for who I was trusting. Always telling them, telling me that I needed to find my truth. This was the thing that my mother was saying in the 80s. Shout out to you, Patricia Joanne Keeter. I miss you very much. And maybe in the future, I'll get to share Sunday mornings with my children.
This has been another episode of Trenos and the Lived Experience. I'm your host, Kamrayeen Aline Maharet Jarrell, a.k.a. Trenos, the eldest daughter of Patricia Keeter. Um, this was Trenos and the Lived Experience. Um, and I want to dedicate this to my mother. Take it easy.